Hello, and welcome to Chutzpah. I'm your host, Adam Greenman. My days are spent as the CEO of the Jewish Alliance of Greater Rhode Island, an organization focused on building a stronger, more vibrant Jewish community here in the Ocean State. One of the joys of my job is getting to sit down with leaders from throughout our Jewish community. I learn so much from these conversations and always walk away with many insights about leadership and how to lead. This podcast is an opportunity to bring these conversations and insights directly to you. And I'm so excited to introduce you to today's guest, Michelle Letterberg. Michelle was one of the first people I met when I moved to Rhode Island almost 13 years ago, and she has been an amazing mentor and friend ever since. I've learned so much from her and was so glad she agreed to share her wisdom with us. Some quick updates. If you have a lightning round question you think we should ask our guests, please email us at chutzpah at jewishallianceri.org. And as always, please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Spotify. Now, I'm so pleased to share my conversation with Michelle Letterberg. Today, I am so excited to welcome an old friend, Michelle Letterberg, who is the Executive Vice President and Chief Administrative Officer at Blue Cross Blue Shield of Rhode Island. Michelle, so excited to welcome you to Chutzpah. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Adam. I'm really excited to be here. It's great to have the opportunity to chat with you and uh, to spend a little more time talking about things. So why don't we start, tell us a little bit about your upbringing, uh, where you grew up and what that was like. Sure. I grew up in uh, Westchester County of New York, with my parents and three siblings, I'm the oldest. Uh, you know, traditional kind of Jewish family, I guess, so to speak. Uh, my father thought, you know, one lawyer, one doctor, one lawyer, one doctor uh, was the the way we were all designated. He did get one lawyer, me, although I don't practice anymore. And one of my sisters is a pediatrician, so she actually is. The other two were like, absolutely no way. So funny. And then I came to Brown for college, went back to New York briefly, and then went to law school in Boston and, and moved back to Rhode Island, a place I'd never thought I'd came back to, but it turned out to be a great place to raise raise kids. Such a similar upbringing, you know, oldest kid. Now I know why we get along so well. <laughs> yeah. My parents' biggest disappointment is no doctors, no lawyers, uh, much to their chagrin. So I think it's a generational thing, right? I mean, I can't, I, I can't imagine suggesting to my kids, lawyer, doctor, like there are so many other more fulfilling and interesting things, but I think it's a generational. It was like, you have to be in a profession that's safe. Easy way to define success. You, you spoke a little bit about the, the the Jewish part of that upbringing. How did that sort of manifest itself? There was a, a somewhat religious component. You know, we always belonged to a synagogue. My mother was, her parents are Jewish, but her father's family emigrated from Germany. And when he got here, had no interest in any identification. So she was brought up with nothing. And my father, you know, grew up in the Bronx. I actually realized when I went to Brown, I'm like, wow, my father has a heavy New York Jewish accent. <laughs> so, you know, we always belonged to a synagogue when I was really young, an Orthodox synagogue, but we were never Orthodox. And so synagogue was kind of more of a social piece. It was really important to my parents that we were all bar and bat mitzvahed. You know, we always had Friday night Shabbat dinner. Mm. Uh, but I think actually the only times when I grew up that we ever really went to synagogue once we left the Orthodox uh, shul was the high holidays. And then, you know, it was a reform synagogue. My father went really early, so he we had to sit in the front row. 
Uh, and so as for kids, that was like torture because you couldn't speak and you just had to sit there. But, it, you know, I think being Jewish is a really important identity to my parents and they instilled that in each one of us. And I think we've each embodied that in different ways. I actually majored in Judaic studies at Brown. I didn't know that. Kept secrets. Um, and so I, I think, you know, you find your own way, and I've hoped the same for each of my kids. You provide a foundation, and I think it's, a, for me, it's been a really strong moral compass. Mm, that's such a nice way to put it, you, to provide the foundation and then, you know, let people build on that foundation. It's a lot, actually, I think, like leadership, right? Sort of setting the table, but letting people make the meal themselves. And you have to want it, right? I, I think it's the same thing with leadership. If you're invested in being a leader, you look around, you model the behavior the same way you do with being Jewish, with anything else that's important to you, and you kind of pick and choose what works for you. And I think Judaism is the same. My siblings and I each practice differently, one not at all, but the others in different ways. And it's the same way as, you know, each of us have done in our professional lives and in our personal lives with our families. So let's shift gears a little bit. Let's fast forward to, to now. Tell me about Blue Cross Blue Shield of Rhode Island. We know it's a health insurer, but how do you describe what you do at a cocktail party? We try and help make lives better for the people of Rhode Island, really. I mean, yes, we are a traditional health insurer, but the reason I'm there and stay there is because I really think we impact people's lives. Mm. We really are focused on trying to help make people healthy, you know, provide access to kind of safe, affordable ways for people to kind of live and stay in Rhode Island, really committed more broadly to the Rhode Island community. And so that's why I'm at La Crosse and that's what I tell people, you know, when I'm trying to attract, when I'm interviewing people and also when I'm talking to other people about what does Blue Cross do? Yes, we pay healthcare claims. We cover healthcare services, but we do really way more than that. Now, we've known each other for about 12 years since I moved to Rhode Island and, and you've always been at Blue Cross. Uh, so I actually don't know how long you've been at Blue Cross. Since I was a child, no. <laughs> uh, I've been at Blue Cross, uh, the way I remember is my middle son was a year and he is 22. Wow. That's great. So uh, way longer than I ever intended to stay, but it's been incredibly fulfilling. I've had amazing opportunities there. I love what I do. I keep on learning. I get to meet all sorts of cool people like you and all sorts of other people along the way. Can you talk a little bit about the leadership role that you play within the organization? I lead an, a number of different functions. I'm a part of the small executive leadership team, both in terms of my role is managing our reputation outside in the community and then also kind of managing risk and overseeing our people work. I view my role as ensuring we've got a healthy culture where people really feel engaged. A lot of our corporate social responsibility work is all under the work that I do, which is why I was talking about like really impacting lives. And so overseeing our relationships in the community and our investments and how we are more recently handling diversity, equity, and inclusion, really focusing on health equity, and then you know managing risk. Like all organizations, it's a, it's a balance. But I think Blue Cross and the reason, the bottom line, the reason I stay there, like they do the right thing. Like mm -hmm. I never have ever felt morally compromised. And to me, that's the number one thing. I, I feel really good always about working there. Yeah, no, I think you talked a little earlier about 
how the Jewish values piece really you know, is part of your foundation. And so to be able to work in a place where you never have to worry about being morally compromised, I think those two things probably go hand in hand, right? And yes. you know, lead to you sticking around for, for a long time. Was leadership always something that you wanted to pursue? Was this sort of where you saw yourself? Actually, no. I thought I was going to be a doctor, and then I decided blood was just not going to work for me. And so I, I wasn't sure. I knew I wanted to work in healthcare, kind of some way, kind of helping provide access to healthcare. I wasn't sure in what way. And I think over time, I've just had opportunities and realized that, you know, you learn about yourself and what drives you and excites you. And legal work is fine. It's not really for me. Mm. But it provided me a vehicle to be where I am. And I, I really value the opportunity to help develop people, give people opportunities to grow and shine and just progress in their careers. And so that's kind of what leadership's about. It's about helping others grow and learning from others and doing better work yourself. I really love that part of my job. and leadership is just, it makes or breaks an organization. 100%. I, I, I think having good leadership, and like you said, it's it starts with good leadership that can help grow leadership below as well and to help everybody sort of be their best selves. It's how do we lift everybody up? Yeah. And you and I have had many, many conversations yeah. on that topic. So I know we're very closely aligned on that. We hear so much about the great inventors of history, Marie Curie, Nikola Tesla, George Washington Carver, but you don't have to be one of the heavy hitters to have a great idea. After all, every idea starts somewhere, and today, it can start with you. The Jewish Alliance has launched a community microgrant initiative to fund new and creative projects that contribute to vibrant Jewish life in our state. We're looking for individuals to apply and kickstart a project that is uniquely relevant to them. This is your chance to receive up to $500 to fund a program that channels your interests, addresses your immediate community, and expands the borders of what programming in the Jewish community can be. Our application deadline is rolling, so we encourage you to apply as soon as possible. For more information, head to jewishalliancerorg forward slash microgrants. So what would you say are some of the most important decisions that you tend to make as a leader at Blue Cross? I think there's a a variety of things. I mean, there are really important decisions about where do we invest? You know, what do we prioritize? Several years ago, we started working with Brown on what's called Rhode Island Life Index, which is the first of its kind, a survey of the perceptions of Rhode Islanders' perception of their health and well-being. There's all sorts of surveys out there and data on actual kind of health outcomes, but this is people's perception. And it was not surprisingly came back, you know, first year, the biggest barrier to people's perception of their health and well-being Rhode Island is access to affordable housing. And so having the opportunity to kind of redirect our both philanthropy and our policy work and, you know, even how we deal with community partners was really important. So I think that's a huge priority, right? Being able to impact that, being able to kind of course correct and say, now we've got some information and and we could do something different to impact lives through data has been a really important opportunity. And then, you know, there are the important decisions around people, like 
giving people opportunity. Do you take a chance? Do you move somebody, you know, into this position? What what type of resources do you need to accomplish um, certain goals? And sometimes you take a chance, and other people are like, you can't do that, and you just. If you feel really strongly, you kind of stake your reputation on something and, and, and move forward. And the willingness and the ability to be able to do that are really important. What did it look like to really use that data set to galvanize people? First of all, I have a great part, partners in the organization, right? I'm certainly, I'm never the smartest person in the room, but, and rely on, on others and their instincts and their knowledge. And you always want to have compliments to that. But I do think, like you're saying, it was really hard. I mean, internally, we had always, our philanthropy had been primarily focused on access to care for the under and uninsured and some other things. And this was a huge shift for us. So it was like, you know, it was convincing um, leadership at, at Blue Cross and our board, like we can make a difference. This is a huge impact on people's well-being. And so um, in the last year, we've made the most significant grants from a philanthropy place in housing, but you also don't want to come in and assume you know best. Mm -hmm. And I think Blue Cross has done a really good job of not assuming we know more than everybody else in the various spaces that we're in. And we spent a lot of time kind of getting to know the housing advocates and the housing organizations and also to kind of learn where others are at, to become a trusted partner and, you know, convince others within the organization out, like, we got to do this slowly. We want to be viewed as sincere um, and a trusted partner. And so that's some of the hardest things is not to, you know, everybody wants to go rushing in or yeah. some people want to go rushing in. And I, I think you can't be successful a lot of the time when you do that. You really have to be thoughtful. Yeah, I think that's, that's such an important distinction between the two, because I think that there's such a tendency, especially in our culture and in this day and age, to okay, we've identified the problem, now we have to solve it tomorrow. And you may have the idea of how you might want to solve it tomorrow, but so much of leadership, I mean, some of the things that you said there around the relationship building, you know, really going in and asking good questions, right? So much of leadership is, I don't know, so let me ask the right questions and ask them of the right people. And that builds trust and it helps create a better solution over the long term. Um, it's something that I actually struggle with as a leader sometimes of wanting to move too fast. And you spoke earlier about surrounding yourself with people that can actually you know, force you to take that breath and make it a better product because of that. It's interesting the work that you're doing around understanding that housing is a healthcare issue, right? And how you are able to change perceptions around that and lend a voice that helps move that issue along, but to do it in a way that folks will trust because I think that it, especially in housing or in any, you know, industry, right? Helping people to see or, or no, 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 we're seeing these two things is really linked. It's going to take some time to be, for people to believe that even as you say it. Yeah. Right. Trust is important. So yeah. I would just say, I think all these things that we're talking about, I know you're interviewing me, but you have modeled since, as far as I can tell, since you've been here, kind mm. of understanding, taking time, not wanting, you know, Yes, wanting to jump in and make changes, but understanding you can't do it that quickly, that you need to understand the landscape and, you know, who are the parties at the table and what are their perspectives. And, uh, you know, my team reminds me of that of all the time, all the time, like you cannot do this. You need to take a step back and listen and not solve the problem. And, and I know uh, you've done a lot of that here, I've yeah. observed. 
I, I mean, I think uh, leadership probably starts or there's this quality right before you become leaders that we're just problem solvers. And, you know, we want to solve problems and we want to do it quickly. And because of that, sometimes it's really not sometimes it's always really important to have people around you to say, you know, yes, we do need to solve this, but let's take a step. Let's take a breath. So tell me a little bit about some of the hardest decisions that you've had to make as a leader. So much of your role is about helping others in the organization. So people decisions are the hardest, right? right? I mean, you're impacting people's lives, laying off folks or making decisions to separate if somebody it's just not a good fit. It's it's hard it, as a human, and ultimately, my observation is often, especially when you're laying folks off or it's not a right fit, even if they feel at the time it's not, later they thank you because they realize it's not, but you, it's really hard. And I think yeah. the minute it stops being hard, then you have to take a step back and wonder what's wrong. Like, what, what, what have I lost as a person? It was one of the best lessons, so... Uh, somebody we both know well, uh, my old boss and mentor, uh, Tony Maione, the former CEO at United Way here in Rhode Island. When I got this job, he said to me, the hardest part of leadership is the people. And it should be hard because it's people. You know, I think people look at leaders and say, don't look at them as people. He told me basically what you just said, that idea of if it ever becomes easy, it's time for you to take a step back and actually look at who you are and who you've become because it should never be easy. It makes this next question probably a little harder because you can never take the emotion out of that or the personal feeling out of it. But um, what kind of process do you use when you when you have decisions, whether they're people decisions or not? Like, What kind of process do you use to help yourself come to a decision point? The easiest thing, at least for me, is to kind of look at objective data. You know, I'm a process person and then figure out, okay, how is this process going to work? And for me, it's being honest, you know, being honest with myself, being honest with the other people involved. I think in some ways it makes it difficult. I just am an honest person. I tend to just tell it like it is. Obviously, you have to use the right words, but I think just figuring out how to be honest about the situation and the actions you are taking and be, and be thoughtful about that. And then really think about how do you deliver information in a way that people understand what you are saying, but you are being empathetic and giving people the opportunity to respond and being emotionally prepared for that. Yeah. The, the empathy piece, I think, is such an underrated quality of those kinds of decision making, being able to put yourself in somebody else's shoes, not, not even just on the people decision. How are others going to be impacted by this? And it's a good place to start. Stepping back a little bit, who are some of the folks that you look to throughout your career as, as examples of good leadership and why? I guess the first person I typically say to is my mother-in-law, who's long deceased, Vicki Lederberg. I mean, she really was a tireless leader. She cared deeply about her family and the community, but she also was really passionate. She taught Rhode Island College for a while and really passionate about her students, you know, and then she ended up on the Rhode Island Supreme Court, and she was a leader. I think she really always was straightforward in expressing her points of view. She also always emphasized the importance of family. You know, at the time I had two very young children and always it was important to her to always make sure she took time for 
my kids and reminded me that that's really what life's about. You know, you just remember like the people at the end of the day who are going to notice you're gone are your family. And so you should, it's an important lesson never to forget. Such an important lesson. Yeah. So what do you see, Michelle, as the most important job of a leader? I think the most important job of a leader is one, as I said earlier, developing other people, giving other people the opportunity to um, who want it to become leaders, to become better leaders, and ultimately to take over for you. And I also think there's often this kind of like, do as I say, but not as I do. And I think that's really dangerous. And so I think that's critically important. And that's in terms of kind of giving time to the community, making time for your family, taking vacation, making hard decisions, giving honest feedback. All of those things are really important to model yourself when you expect that of others. And I try, I don't do a great job of it, but I try to do that on a regular basis. You know, if you're gonna show up, you need to show up and be present. We do a 360 review for me as the CEO here. And one of the pieces of feedback that came through this year was we set up these meetings for the local Jewish agencies. And I have always talked about from the beginning that all of our agencies are partners in this work together. You know, the old model of a federation sitting on top of the rest of the Jewish community. And one of the folks on the 360 gave the feedback that you don't come to these meetings that you've arranged for all these CEOs. You leave it to a staff person to be there. And for me, you know, I was sort of in lifting up an internal person and saying, I want you to lead this work. I was sending a different message to the community. And so now we've talked through how can I be a part of these meetings and share with everybody. I want to be a partner in these meetings at the table, but this staff person's job is still to lead this effort and to lead our conversation. So I'm here as a participant, not as the one driving the conversation. It was just such a good wake up call for me. And one of those moments of you really do have to be careful to make sure that you are saying and doing what you want to be saying and doing and, and creating opportunities for people to give you the feedback, right? To, to tell you when you're not living up to the expectations that you're setting for yourself. So I, I, that resonates so much. The, and it's not easy, right? It's not easy yeah. to, I, I always joke with folks, nobody likes hearing feedback. Nobody likes to you know, get constructive criticism, but we need to be able to hear it in order to grow. But people appreciate knowing where, where, when things are going well and when they aren't going well. Exactly. And I think that um, nobody should ever be surprised, right? And that's, I think, a, a lesson that I try to take from it. Chutzpah is brought to you by Jewish Roadie Media. But don't leave us lonely. If you're interested in partnering with us, we would love to feature your business, publication, event, and more in an ad spot just like this one. When you realize you showed up to a dinner party empty-handed, we're the friends saying, don't worry, this whitefish salad is from both of us now. Join the podcast potluck today to be a sponsor of Jewish Roadie Podcasts. For more information, contact Peter Zeldin at P-Z-E-L-D-I-N at jewishallianceri.org. Speaking of advice, what advice would you give people looking to lead at any level. So not necessarily at a senior level, but I'm a big believer that leadership happens everywhere throughout an organization. So what kind of advice would you give folks who are looking to lead? I would say one, be open to opportunity because you never know where it's gonna take you. And I think if you're open to opportunity, there's always 
you'll have chances to kind of grow. And when you grow and you challenge yourself and you do things that you think may not necessarily lead you where you want to go, that's important lessons in, in leadership. And you just never know where you're going to end up. And, and follow your passion, right? If you're passionate about something, you're going to give it your all instead of, you know, and I'll go back to like my father should be a doctor. Like it just wasn't going to work for me. It's just not just not what I'm suited for. And I think following your passion and being open to opportunities that are presented to you enough, some of it you have to pursue on your own, of course. Um, you learn from that and you learn about leadership and you never know where it will take you. And at the end of the day, if you're passionate about something, hopefully you'll be enjoying what you're doing and learning leadership lessons, whatever you're doing. Yeah, that's great. So tell me about your biggest experience with failure, or as others have said, you know, it's not necessarily failure, it's things that you learned when things didn't go well, right? I mean, I'll never forget years and years ago, I was doing work for a hospital and I just completely missed something. And it was like a one year annual thing that all these people had to vote on. And I was just like, I, I was beside myself. I, I didn't know what to do. I actually, at the time, I think I cried. I was like, I'm like never going back to work again. Um, and it was actually my mother-in-law at the time came over and she's like, pull yourself together. Mm-hmm. And I, I realized, I think, you know, if you make a mistake and you don't break the law, we can figure it out. And so I think just, you know, take a step back, be honest about what happened. And then, you know, talk to some people you trust and figure out how to solve it or address it. You know, there's very little that can't be solved in some way, shape, or form, particularly when you're honest about what happened. Yeah, that idea is probably said in every organization outside of hospitals that, you know, we're not doing surgery here. It's not life or death. And I like the way that you phrase it, that as long as you're not breaking the law, we can probably figure it out, and that's a that's a good uh, it's a good bar to set for creating the space for failure, right? Because our best learning opportunities are when we don't do something correctly, and so I really I think that's a good frame of mind to have. You talked a little bit about you know you you go to people when you make these mistakes or when you've got questions. You know, who do you rely on for advice? Uh, I think it depends on what type of thing it is. But I have a couple of folks that I work with at Blue Cross who are just incredibly insightful and honest. And you know some of these people on my team, like Carolyn Belial, there's a woman named Monica Asiel. I mean, they are just great supports. My sisters. Um, mm-hmm are um, also, uh, you know, in different states, do totally different things. But it's nice, you know, families always accepting. My husband, the same thing, right? You know, people who will be honest, but who look out, you know, look out for you, but are also going to tell you. Yeah. And those can happen in the formal and informal settings, yeah. right? It's it's your, you know, your your work network, but also your personal network that form this sort of kitchen cabinet for you. Michelle Letterberg, last question before we get to the lightning round. What is the biggest lesson in leadership that you feel like you've learned and how did you learn it? I think the biggest lesson is that you are not always the, like, you don't always have to have the answer. You don't always have to speak up first. It's really important to listen and to hear what others are saying and give others the opportunity to speak up and share a point of view, even if you think you know the answer. Wait. That's a terrific, terrific lesson for everybody to take away. 
So Michelle, are you ready for the lightning round? Yeah, it's probably going to be the most difficult part. Favorite Jewish food? Bagel. Favorite Jewish entertainer? A hard question. I don't know. Like Klezmer bands. Okay. Favorite Jewish ritual or custom? Shabbat dinner. Bagel with locks or corned beef on rye? Uh, I don't have locks, but I really do love a bagel with cream cheese and tomato. Favorite Jewish holiday? I would say breakfast after Yom Kippur. <laughs> Favorite Yiddish word you like to slide into conversations from time to time? Schlep, probably. Schlep. Good one. Do you like your kugel sweet or savory? Savory. Purim or Passover? Oh, Purim. If you could add one thing to the Seder plate, what would it be? Well, if I could remove one thing, it would be that lamb shank. It kills me every single time. <laughs> Name one celebrity you'd like to do the horror with. Coco Goth. Last question, Michelle. How do you spell Hanukkah? Oh, with an H, not a C. No C. Michelle Lederberg, this was so wonderful. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today on Chutzpah. I really, really enjoyed it. I learned so much just from our conversation today, and I feel like I get to have these conversations with you all the time, and to get to learn even more today was just so wonderful. Thank you for sharing your thoughts with us. Thank you for inviting me. This has been fantastic. I really appreciate the opportunity, and it was great to spend some time with you. Thank you for listening to Chutzpah a Jewish Roadie Media production. Today's episode was made possible by the Jewish Alliance of Greater Rhode Island and was edited and produced by Emma Newberry. Each of our in-person interviews is recorded at the Residential Properties Limited Studio at the Dwyer's JCC. Special thanks to Michelle for her words on authenticity and teamwork. Tune in next time to hear from Rabbi Sarah Mack of Temple Bethel. In the meantime, you can follow us on Spotify and leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about Jewish Roadie's projects and hear more from our community, head to jewishroadie.com, where you can also find our social media. That's it for today. See you next time on Chutzpah.